When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. There's no piffy introduction, there's nothing I'm going to start today's Euro Daily podcast off with, but a celebration of Christian Eriksen. I will cover the Belgium-Russia game and the Wales-Switzerland game to the best of my ability, but in place of Finland versus Denmark, I'll simply recap that uh, Joel Polypalo scored for Finland, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg missed a penalty, and Finland won their first tournament football match. It's irrelevant, really. The only talking point is Christian Eriksen. We're not praising the skill on show, the goals or the tactics in the game, but the selfless work of Simon Kerr, Kasper Schmeichel and the Danish protective wall, Anthony Taylor's speed to stop the game and the medics to ultimately carry out the care that is needed. And before we start I And before we start today's podcast, I hope that when you find this podcast all the information is up to date and correct. You'll have known what happened, so I won't go into detail, I'm not going to speculate. Or sensationalise here, I'm not going to discuss the incident. Let's instead look at Christian Eriksen's career and celebrate it. And you can almost split Danish football pre and post Christian Eriksen in the modern sense, to be fair. He's the fourth most capped player for his national side. He scored the seventh most goals, that's 36 goals in 109 games, which is a phenomenal record really for a number 10, a midfielder. He is the most important Danish player, I think, of the 21st century by a long chalk. Denmark have had uh, Peter Schmeichel, they've had the Laudrup brothers, they had the 1992 team, the goals from John Jensen and Kim Vilfort in the final in uh, in Sweden there. They also had the successes of 1984 and 86, a good run in the 1998 World Cup, but Christian Eriksen has been a consistent talisman. He's dragged Denmark up at times to a more acceptable level coming into the team after failing to qualify for a World Cup in 2006 and the Euros two years later. He scored his only tournament goal against Australia at the 2018 World Cup, a goal that ultimately sealed qualification to the last 16. And he's so integral to this team, this tight-knit unit, that had the earmarked as one of the dark horses this year for the tournament to get quite far. 
Ericsson's career is curious, really, as he's Danish, but he hasn't played club football in his birth country. Ajax signed him up to the academy in October 2008 from Odense BK. Within 14 months, he was promoted to the first team, his debut coming in January 2010. Three months later, his first goal came in a Dutch game, and he would end that season with the winner's medal of that competition, featuring in the second leg of a final there. By this point, he had already made his international debut. In March 2010, as a fresh-faced 18-year-old, just one month after his 18th birthday, against Austria in a friendly. He was Denmark's fourth youngest full international, their youngest since Michael Laudrup, perhaps a sign of his uh, his great powers. Martin Olsen named him in the 23 for South Africa at that year's World Cup, the youngest player at the tournament, 18 years and four months old. Three Eredivisies would follow in a row with Ajax, which uh, owned... Plaudits continental wide, and before he came to England, he was courted by the likes of Liverpool, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund and Manchester United. And in fact, if you take a look at at the rumours page on his transfer marked profile, there is nothing but elite European clubs that have scouted him. From 2012 to this very day, you've got Arsenal, you've got Barcelona's Real Madrid's, and I don't think I've ever seen more of a star-studded list on one of those types of pages it just shows, goes to show the uh, how good he actually is as a footballer Tottenham came to him in their hour of need we cannot forget that he was of the pejoratively named Magnificent Seven that were signed to replace Gareth Bale in the summer of 2013 and in the end only he really turned out to be magnificent he's a classic number 10 who will go down as possibly one of the best ever to have played in the Premier League Fantastic ability from set pieces, from corners, from free kicks. In fact, one of his first goals for for Spurs was a free kick against West Brom. I have got vivid memories of one away at Swansea too. And he could thread a pass through the eye of a needle. Obviously had marksmen in front of him like Harry Kane and later on Deli Alley and Son Heung-min as well. He found the net two scoring 51 times in the Premier League for Spurs. Some of them absolute belters as well. One, of them, one that sticks in my mind at least is that 30-yarder low drive against Palace I think that was in a 1-0 win or a 2-1 win his finishes from distance were always low I mean, it was a one faded against Everton quite one of his last fantastic goals in a Spurs shirt and uh, perhaps one of his best goals but or more important goals to uh, Spurs was that dipping strike at Stamford Bridge the day that Tottenham ended their horrific run at Stamford Bridge with a 3-1 win I think and that goal it was it looked as though for all the world it was going over and suddenly at last minute crashed into the top corner and that was just the ability of him. Uh, I think I'm of the opinion that if Harry Kane hadn't had this meteoric rise in a Spurs shirt, you know, growing up from the academy and all the romance that comes with that, that Christian Eriksen would be lauded as the best Tottenham player post Gareth Bale. Of course, we've got the Rocks in defence, the Alderweirelds, the Vertonghens. We've got Song Heung-min, Deli Alley as well. But Christian Eriksen was probably a rung above them. He's got 62 Premier League assists, for example, the 19th of all time in Premier League history. And when you consider that he was there for seven years, six and a half years, it's just fantastic numbers. Double figures, four years in a row. And he is just one of the all-time creative geniuses in Premier League history. I asked you for some of your memories and opinions. Harry Holland says that most of his were from the Spurs days and and I think I'm of the opinion anyway that in these times you need to celebrate, to laugh, to be positive. And uh, he sent me 
a, a YouTube link last night to wind me up the goal after 11 seconds against uh, Manchester United, who I support. And uh, yeah, that uh, cheered me up a little bit last night when I was uh, contemplating uh, putting together this uh, format last night. And yeah, cheers. Uh, Chris Kelly comes back with uh, some player, a joy to watch, something that Chris remembers in particular is his performance in Dublin in the World Cup playoff in uh, 2017. The Danes put five past Ireland, an absolutely majestic display from Ericsson that night, Chris says. Yeah, um, you don't like to see one of your teams get beat that badly in such an important game, but I remember watching that and just being absolutely in awe. He's got a hat-trick and you just got to hold your hands up, haven't you, really? A bit like Ronaldo at Old Trafford um, in the Champions League for Real Madrid in 2003. You just got to sit there and just applaud the majesty of it. Alex Rhodes says, uh, what surprises him? He's only 29. He feels like he's been at the top of the game for nearly 10 years. He's got that rare ability to collect the ball and then almost see the game in slow motion. A prince of Persia of football. He comes off as a nice guy. Even when negotiating his move away from Spurs, he did it with respect and patience. Stephen Tilbrook, he says, uh, he's such a good player. I'd often see him linked with Manchester United and was always disappointed when it didn't happen. So skillful, so creative and scored goals. And of course, as Alex uh, alludes to there, he was spectacularly shown the door by Tottenham. Inter Milan picked him up and it just seemed as he was about to leave Inter Milan. He wasn't getting picked. He wasn't uh, at the forefront of Antonio Conte's mind. And then he reinvented himself. The number 10 became a, a deep-lying playmaker. And with him as this creative fulcrum, Inter Milan won the league. A testament to not only the physical talent of the man but the determination the mental acumen and sometimes football repays the good guys Ericsson toiled in a sense in a silverware picking up sense in his Tottenham days obviously they didn't win anything when he was uh, in North London he had to go through a bit of a rejuvenation a tactical uh, tweak and he was ultimately rewarded for it and that's probably quite possibly the biggest compliment on a professional side that you can uh, you can say for him really and then this in this season of all seasons, he could step up um, in a barely settled foreign land and provide what he has done over the past years. But I think it's been nothing short of fantastic in that Inter Milan midfield. He is one of the best number 10s of his generation. One of the best midfielders that the Premier League will ever see. And uh, let's hope he is on the road to recovery. After this short break, we will be covering the rest of the matches yesterday looking ahead to today's game and of course in between we have a 2021 trivial teaser welcome back so yesterday's answer in the 2021 trivial teaser was of course cristiano ronaldo three of you got it right two of you are on quite the roll jake collinson and paza safc got it correct as did george hs2706 who bounced back from an incorrect answer the previous day well done to those three of you who tweeted me at whatif underscore YouTube. You too can do the same if you have the answer to today's answer. Our player today is a defender. He's been managed by Didier Deschamps and Frank Lampard. Some of the players he's played alongside have been Loic Remy, Gabriel Heinze, Kai Havertz, Fernando Torres and Ferran Torres. Again, he's a defender who's played underneath Didier Deschamps, Frank Lampard, and played with Loic Remy. Gabriel Heinze, Kai Havertz, Fernando Torres and Ferran Torres. You can find out the answer tomorrow on tomorrow's show of the Euro Dailies podcast. Tweet me at what if underscore YouTube if you think you know the answer. And after this short break, we'll be covering Belgium's victory over Russia. 
Wales and Switzerland's draw in Baku and looking ahead, of course, to the games today. So let's start with the last match that was on last night. Um, Belgium rattled through Russia with ease, really, in a 3-0 win in St. Petersburg. And they did so really without truly moving through the gears. Belgium's lineup was, as expected, uh, tactically three at the back. A nice wrinkle for me was uh, Yannick Carrasco and Togan Hazard starting on the same wing with Carrasco further forward. Togan Hazard playing playing on the left wing back role there, slightly further infield whilst Carrasco hugged the touchline. And for me, I think that's a tactical decision, the type of decision that you make as a manager, as Roberto Martinez, that could be the difference between winning the tournament and not because it's curious because both can play wing and wing back. You see Carrasco further further out wide, Togan Hazard coming in field. The interchangeability of those players, I think, will leave opponents guessing. Both, both had fantastic games and I kind of think with that sort of tactical shift there, is Aiden Hazard going to get on or is he going to have to play out of position on the right if you know Kevin De Bruyne doesn't come back in time? Both had fantastic games. Yannick Carrasco was probably the highlight for me, obviously outside of Romelu Lukaku, which we'll get onto in a second. Um, Carrasco was especially dangerous. Come off the back of a good season at wing-back for Atletico. You could see the shackles were a little bit off here. You know, he was playing slightly more defensively for Atletico in that wing-back role, slightly higher up the pitch here. And I... I'm of the opinion that tactics over players is something that wins you the Euros or any tournament really, which is why we've seen the debate between three at the back and four at the back with England. But again, we'll get onto that later on. In one of the other dilemmas that Martinez had going into this game was uh, pretty much made up for him halfway through the first half when Timothy Costagna came off with an injury who started over Thomas Munier. Didn't last too long, looks as though he's got a similar injury to Kevin De Bruyne and that could rule him out for the rest of the tournament. Alternatively, he could come back wearing a mask for the uh, for the latter stages if Belgium if Belgium get there and his substitute, Thomas Mounier, got the second goal. But I think first we have to discuss Romelu Lukaku and for me, I think he's one of the best number nines. He, when people say great number nines, they often say Kane, Lewandowski and now more and more Haaland. Um, but Lukaku has had a fantastic career. The... He's been around for 12 years and he's 28. So, I mean, he must have had some career. Anderlecht, Chelsea, West Brom, Everton, Manchester United, now Inter Milan. Obviously won the uh, won the league with Inter Milan this season. And in terms of his international football, in terms of tournament football, I feel he's been slept on as one of the tournament greats. Like, so you look on years gone by with the likes of Mario Kempes, Paolo Rossi, Toto Scalaccia. We all remember these names from the World Cup and, you know, being so fantastic, you know, Michel Platini at Euro 1984. Lukaku, I think, if he is to be successful, because to be remembered like that, you do have to be successful. Plenty have been discussing Antoine Griezmann as a great tournament footballer. And yeah, he got the golden boot in Euro 2016, won the World Cup, obviously. Ronaldo as well, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, won the Euros all-time, joint all-time, highest European championship goal scorer. But... Romelu Lukaku, for me, consistently scores at tournament football, like potentially really no other in Europe, maybe Ronaldo, but Ronaldo has as his off tournaments. 2010 World Cup wasn't the greatest, was it? Uh, 2014 World Cup wasn't too great. Well, Meanwhile, Lukaku, his first tournament goal came in the 2014 World Cup, scored the winning goal in the last 16 tie in extra time, and it was the first time since, I believe, 1990 maybe or 1986 that Belgium got to a quarter-final 
And it was a long time, there was a long time in the wilderness Belgium between 2000 and, uh, 2002 and 2014 in terms of, uh, in terms of tournaments. Euro 2016 was, of course, Belgium's first European Championship since 2000, the first one that they qualified for, I think, since 1980, if I'm correct. May have had another tournament in the 80s there, but uh, Lukaku's got two more goals in the group stages, helped them to a, to a win over Republic of Ireland and in the 2018 World Cup, bagged four more goals and was kind of unlucky to um, to not walk away with a golden boot there. And you've you seen there in his... Uh, in the winning goal with Japan, another crucial um, another crucial goal. Obviously, Nasser Chadley scores the goal, but Lukaku was selfless and he made that goal by not touching the ball. It was pivotal with the dummy for Chadley to burst on and uh, ultimately score the goal and win the game 3-2. And now he's bagged two more and he's currently the golden boot leader. And thankfully, I've backed him. And he was absolutely ruthless last night. He was found over the top through... Intricate play in the midfield for Belgium, not offside, as um, Peter Walton in the ITV studio discussed, because Russia played the ball. I think his movement is almost second to none as a, from a forward perspective, at least. And one thing that I do think Belgium is one of their biggest assets is when Kevin De Bruyne comes back and he can find Ke- we can find Lukaku with those runs. Belgium are going to be very, very, very dangerous. The run for the first one was great. The second one, it's just as good, but I think the Russia, Russian defence, they looked a bit Sunday league there. The goalkeeper was all at sea, was neither here nor there. The defence parted like the Red Sea, and it was all too easy. It was like a PlayStation goal when you just one pass, one touch goal, and it was... I kind of recoiled because I thought the Russian defence was sort of appealing for offside when it was clearly not, and they just all seemed to stop apart from one defender, and it was quite calamitous, albeit it did come in, in the uh, last stages of the game. So the game was effectively up, wasn't it? But still, you don't want to, especially when Russia could be fighting for the, one of the best third place teams, you don't want to lose 3-0 and lose goal difference. But like, a lot of people have been comparing Belgium and Italy. Obviously, they both won 3-0. But I think in terms of comparing them, we both have to look at the quality of the opponents that they faced. Turkey, they defended like heroes off the ball. On the ball is a different matter. They're a bit shaky. A young defence and it's the uh, first tournament football that a lot of them have ever had, really. But still, Turkey were... Turkey are a decent team and we'll probably see that more and more as the tournament goes on and they maybe might qualify. Russia, I think they always look twitchy at the back. Belgium were just cutting through them at will. The defence was all over the place um, to the point where I don't think Turkey... Turkey were fairly regimented in their structure, whereas Russia seemingly... Uh, to me, anyway, they were all over the place. And this is a Belgium side, ultimately, yeah, without two key players, Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously still enough to do damage. And I think Russia's defensive liabilities we've seen no more so than in uh, Thomas Mounier's goal. He pounced on a rebound and he had 10 yards of space in the penalty area. And that just goes to show how um, horrific sort of Russia are defensively, really. There was no threat at all to him and um, the goal came, the second goal came from Belgium's left wing, which was the preferred method all game. And as I say, Carrasco and Togg and Hazard on that side. If I was Roberto Martinez, obviously there's going to be clamour for Aiden Hazard to start because he's the poster boy, he's the captain, etc. But for me, I think that little nuance of them both on the left, they can both play in either positions. I think that is the sort of thing that would win Belgium a tournament. And obviously I've... 
I'm saying to temper Belgium's expectations because they've only beaten Russia 3-0, but at the same time, that little tactical that little tactical thing there, that, I think that's going to be key to Belgium. And if, like Sweden, I think with Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back and then not coming back, I think that's helped them in a way to not carry a superstar. I think maybe you can say the same thing about Belgium. Obviously, Aiden Hazard could easily turn up and uh, put a hat-trick past the goalie in his next game and I'll look an absolute fool. But that's... Uh, one, the main takeaway I took from this game, really, and outside of that, Belgium didn't face much. There's been a lot of talk about their ageing defence and a lot of talk in the ITV studio about they might not need the defence because the attack's so good. Um, and Russia, to me, going forward were, to put it bluntly, diabolical, to put it more succinctly, one-dimensional. The game plan was pretty simple and rudimentary. Hit Artem Zuba with crosses, hope, hope he puts one in, hope he controls it and puts it in the net or head it in. Um, to be fair, surprisingly, Belgium, uh, Russia had a, quite a lot of territory in the first half, but they did very, very little with it. Um, ITV's Sam Matterface on commentary was quick to remind us that Russia lost the first game in 2008 and made the semi-finals, but um, I'll temper that with um, they'll have more games to play this time, and the other two games in the group are by no means gimmies in terms of wins. Regardless, I did think when Alexei Mirinchuk came on, he was bright in sections, he came on for the sub a sub who was sub Denis Cheryshev, which uh, says a lot about Russia. Obviously, he came on for an injured player, but the uh, Russia don't look a don't look a unit at all. And we'll go to the first game of the day yesterday, and it was in Baku, uh, where Wales met Switzerland. And I said on yesterday's podcast it would be an interesting game, and I think it definitely delivered. It was quite easily, quite comfortably, the game of the day. Wales have ditched the three at the back, uh, which I predict on the team preview video but unfortunately yeah they've uh, gone through a 4-3-3 or more of a 4-2-3-1 Ben Davis was left back in a 4 Aaron Ramsey was highest in um, as a number 10 behind ahead of um, Joe Morell and Joe Allen off the ball they rather folded into a 4-5 4-5-1 Gareth Bale was dropping quite deep as well um, Switzerland played as expected really but went with uh, Remo Freuler at centre mid which is my only uh, my only up in the air sort of positional you know, positional change there. Thought it might have even been Freuler and or Dennis Zakaria and Zakaria came on. But ultimately for uh, for Shakiri. The big news from the Welsh lineup was that Danny Ward started over Wayne Hennessy and I think he was supremely justified in that selection. Uh, fantastic performance from the goalkeeper there. Saved well from Breland Bolo who became a bit of a nemesis during the game. Really. Granite Xhaka and Jordan Shakiri were billed as the the Swiss stars, but I feel they did more of the under underappreciated work in this game. Granit Jack was covering for Ricardo Rodriguez when he burst forward on the left flank as a left wing back, and he did quite a decent job uh, covering for his uh, defender there. Shakiri, on the other hand, knitted it together quite well. Uh, we saw that when, in his absence, when Shakiri came off for Switzerland, they lost a bit of joy going forward. Of course, the Switzerland's main man was Breland Bolo, who's found on the corner, scoring a decent header to uh, break the deadlock in the second half. Whether or not Connor Roberts should have been marking him is a, is a completely different question from the corner with Breland Bolo standing over six foot and Connor Roberts five seven, five eight, something like that. And uh, Switzerland were quite patient in their play. They were dangerous in set pieces and set pieces they won a lot of. Uh, they had the height advantage over Wales, definitely. Um, there was more of a whiff more than a whiff of the previous night's game in uh, in Rome between Italy and Turkey, really. 
Switzerland missed a lot of chances. They had a lot of territory. Wales gave up a lot of the ball, like Turkey did the previous night. And Switzerland's chances, a lot of them fell to Harris Seferovic, whose aim was off all afternoon. He, he did the dirty work well. He held the ball up. He linked up well. But when it came to his finishing, he wasn't he wasn't at the races at all. He was often found in the right channel. Mbola would drop deep. Sometimes he'd come over the top. Shakiri would be, at times, the furthest forward, really. Whilst uh, Kevin Mbabu, I thought he had a great game as well. He provided a lot of width on the right. Their uh, quick ball progression up the pitch is something that Wales seemingly had very little answer for. Something that Italy will, of course, bring in spades if they select the likes of Nicolo Barella. Maybe Federico Chiesa gets a game on that right. They will uh, trouble that Welsh left, despite uh, Ben Davis and Nico Williams being one of their best defenders on that side. Switzerland, aside from set pieces, I don't think they lacked the penetration, especially since um, Shakiri left the field of play after the, uh, or before the equaliser, rather. Wales, they sat back, sat deep as we expected they would, but on the other hand, at the start of the match, they begun very brightly. They won the ball up high and the energy was quickly drained from the, you see, seven minutes in, they were getting fluids on board already. As the afternoon got hotter in Baku, the fervid they dropped deep and they was really they were really flagging. Rob Page said that Dan James ran himself into the ground. Dan James one of the best performers for Wales on the day, uh, but he was out on his feet according to the manager and that's why he brought him off. Quite, uh, Dan James looked quite angry as well. He looked a very good out ball for that counter-attack. Drew a foul, drew a yellow card from Fabian Scher in the first half and I thought he was one of those that could get forward and uh, break up in that Swiss defence in the first half. Ultimately, the Wales in defence, they limited Switzerland to crosses, which were very manageable because in the heart of defence, you've got Joe Rodon and Chris Meppen, who had fantastic displays as well. Um, the only danger, as I say, was from set pieces, which somehow Wales didn't seem to manage as well as from uh, open play. Wales were very resolute in sticking to their plan of playing out from the back. And in terms of getting it, progressing up the field to their number 10 in Ramsey, they could barely find him with the ball, Morel and... Allen couldn't progress the ball well enough up the pitch. But their brief, mainly Morell and Allen, were shielding the defenders and in that 4-2-3-1 double pivot. When chasing the equaliser as well, I feel that Gareth Bale and Wales, they were dropping far too deep and far too central for it. Bale was a slightly ineffectual, really. Um, meanwhile, Dan James was uh, most damaging when he was on the counter-attack runs. Ultimately, though, their goal came from their other plan, the plan B in Kiefer Moore with the cross. Superb header from the uh, taped-up head of the Cardiff striker who got the equaliser. Joe Morell crossed it in as well, a player with more international appearances with 11 this season than club ones of his uh, 10 games for Luton Town in the Championship. And uh, the plan was quite well-founded for Wales, really. The uh, sat deep and a screamer aside, they were never going to Never going to get picked out, obviously, set pieces did them in the end. And um, I think the game was always going to be either settled on the counter-attack through Dan James, but when he came off through the uh, set pieces, our cross for Kiefer Maru, uh, scored his sixth goal in a Wales shirt by the end of things. So we move on to today's games. We've got England versus Croatia at two, Austria versus Macedonia at five, and the Netherlands versus Ukraine at eight. The one we're all waiting for, yes, Austria, Macedonia at five. The more I go through this tournament and read things and listen to things more, the more I fancy Macedonia to pull something off tomorrow. You've got Elmas in that classic number 10 role behind Pandev. 
jostling in a against a three-man back line against Austria. And they're both going to play three at the back, you'd think anyway. Alternatively for Austria, Sasa Kalajic, I fancy to start really. And he could cause Macedonia's three-man defence with a headache, of course, six-foot-seven frame. Fantastic at holding the ball up. Fantastic finisher as well. Austria, let's not forget, still out for their first European Championships win. Could be a good omen, could be a bad omen. And uh, they do have a good team, of course, Marcel Sabitzer. Uh, Marko Anatovic, of course, if he starts the game, I think he probably will start ahead of Kalajic, but we'll, we will see at five o'clock today. I just feel as though Macedonia, in their first tournament game, you know, the morale's up, they will steal something or at least run Austria close. And um, the other contest from Group C comes from Amsterdam tonight. And probably the two big names, the two fancied names from the group, Netherlands and Ukraine. Debor has taken an Frank Debor has taken an extraordinary amount of uh, flack in build up to the game, and he's moved from a four three three to a three five two. Whether or not this is because of Virgil Van Dijk's injuries, it's a question all of its own, really. And I do like the three five two. I do like Deroon sitting deep. You do need that pragmatism in the in tournament football, as I've discussed. Obviously, the wingers aren't the best that Netherlands have ever produced. Obviously, the days of Ian Robin are long gone. Although he could have been selected, uh, there was a bit of clamour for him to be selected, but I think the right thing has been done with keeping with a younger squad. But Berghaus and Promes aren't the world-class wingers that the Netherlands need on a 3-5-2 with Memphis Depay just slightly off. Probably Luke de Jong, but I, in my opinion, obviously, I'm not the Dutch manager. It should be really about Verghorst is in form. And he's a fantastic uh, holder of the ball, holds it up well and can play Memphis in, who's probably going to be the better goal scorer in this team. The midfield, I think, is class for the Netherlands. Um, in defence, they've got a decent enough defensive three, without even without Virgil van Dijk. And they'll need to be at that game because Roman Yaramchuk, I'm expecting goals from him. I've put him on for the golden boot as a dark horse alongside Lukaku. So I'm expecting things from him. Alternatively, in the back line, Ukraine won't be easy to beat. Their defence with Matvienko will be absolutely solid and Memphis will probably drift out to the channels looking for all the space he can find um, against that three-man back line. Netherlands, they, they're not what they used to be, but they have got a star-studded lineup. The midfield is up there with some of the best in the tournament and I think the midfield is where they'll win this game tonight. I'd look out for Daniel Marlin if he comes on the pitch or if he even starts. Um, I think he's a, a top prospect, obviously. In the yellow, we've got Ruslan Malinowski and hopefully Wout Vegost in the uh, Dutch orange in that game as well. Um, those are the three names I'm looking forward to seeing the most. And of course, last but by no means least, England versus Croatia. Will Southgate play three at the back? Will he play four at the back? Um, the debate rages on. Uh, personally, my opinion is play three at the back against Croatia and in the knockouts in the in the uh, tougher games, maybe potentially uh, match Scotland pound for pound with their three at the back, but go to a 4-3-3 against Czech Republic in the, uh, not to disrespect them, the easier games. Um, you didn't ask for my 11, but here it is. John Pickford in net, Kyle Walker, John Stones, Ben White in the defensive three, Reese James at right wing back, Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice in the midfield, Ben Chilwell on the left, and a front three of... Mason Mount on the left, Phil Foden on the right and Harry Kane through the middle. That is definitely not what Gareth Southgate's going to go for, but it is what I would go for. Bellingham is dynamic enough in the middle to go both ways for me, really. Doesn't leave too much defensive onus on Declan Rice there. 
Meanwhile, up front, you've got Foden cutting in from the left, cutting in on his left, rather. Uh, Mason Mount doing likewise on his right in his preferred left um, channel there, left half space. And Kane, I would have him reverting to the classic number nine that we've seen in England shirt of years gone by, as opposed to the nine and a half, the ten that we've seen for his club side, because it could that could easily be a tactical tweak if you're playing a a Rashford, a Sterling, a Saka, players who will uh, break beyond Kane and uh, tuck in and be rather the forward rather than Kane, and Kane would provide. Um, Emma Hayes wrote a good column in The Athletic recently, stating that Rice can't do all the work. Um, but I think there will be a, enough of a defensive screen against Croatia. It will likely play a 4-2-3-1 with uh, Nikola Vlasic in that number 10 role. Obviously, didn't have a great time of it in England, but he's a, I think he's a fantastic talent. Also, Hayes wrote about Kane playing further forward is better for the team because you do have... Kane did say he prefers playing with Grealish because he knows how to find him, but I think... Mason Mount and Grealish, I don't think they can play in the same 11 really because they occupy the same spaces and it's just not beneficial enough for for England really. Chelsea have shown this season, the second half of the season at least, that you only need three out-and-out attacking outlets to win a tournament really. They had Havertz, Mount and Werner start in the Champions League final, obviously heavily rotated with uh, numerous other names. Um, likewise, we can see that from Southgate really. You've got Mount, Foden, Grealish, Sancho, Sterling, Rashford, Saka, who can all rotate in those wide attacking positions. Obviously, Kane is, you know, nailed on as captain. Um, and I, I think we don't need, if you're cramming all the talents to play a 4-3-3 with two 3-8s, as Manchester City used to do, you can't, England don't play like Man City. They've not got the defensive structure like Man City. I don't think England can carry that off well at all. Um, and in tournament football, you have to be defensive to some extent. And I don't think there's been a, an out-and-out attacking tournament team that's won it since won any tournament since probably Brazil 2002. I mean, Spain got lambasted for winning the World Cup in 2010, 1-0 all the time in 2008. They may have been a bit more attacking then, but there's always a little bit of pragmatism. Obviously, Germany won 7-1, but they also got taken to extra time by Algeria. They snuffed out a 1-0 against Argentina to win it in France in the quarterfinals. Uh, so you have to have, obviously, Portugal in 2016, they won one game in 90 minutes. You don't have to be this gung-ho attacking team to win the tournament. And if you want to watch good football and get to the semi-finals and get knocked out again, fine. Um, that's also a preference. But I would rather England 1-0 everything and win the tournament and be defensive as anything. And I don't think it's too defensive, Bellingham and Rice. Obviously, Bellingham will probably prefer won't be preferred, it'll be Phillips or Henderson, depending on Henderson's fitness. And I think that's it, That's fine, because Bellingham and Henderson, obviously Declan Rice can do it as well as he does for his club, as a good ball carrier into the final third, but Bellingham and Henderson will probably assume that role Phillips as well, and they, they can join the attacks. Obviously they're not out-and-out goal scorers like a lot of the players up front, but I think there's a lot to be said about 3-4-3, being defensive, being pragmatic. And is it pragmatic really when you've got Reese, James, Ben Chilwell, or alternatively Luke Shawcree and Trippier um, bursting forward as well, joining the attack? And obviously I picked Ben White in there. He's a bit of a bit of a unicorn when it comes to this uh, England team. Only made his uh, made a late surge to the uh, England team. I think he looked very assured in the friendly game. Obviously friendly games are completely different to the European Championships than any tournament football but in terms of a three, I do like Connor Cody and Tyron Mings in a three, but I just think Ben White 
alongside John Stones, I think it'll calm him down a little bit, as opposed to uh, Connor Cody and Tyron Wings, who can't on the ball, they can be found a little bit lacking. Um, and John Stones, we all know he's got a bit of a rick in there if he's uh, not completely settled. And I think he benefits from a from a helping hand to his left or his right. And obviously, Kyle Walker will uh, help him out in that respect too. And you might take to social media at one o'clock when the team's announced and slag Gareth Southgate off for his selection and your favourite player might not be playing. But remember this. In 1966, Jeff Hurst didn't play until the quarterfinal and now he's a hero. So I'll speak to you again on tomorrow's Euro Daily podcast, covering those aforementioned games and looking ahead to Scotland's tournament return since their first tournament since 1998. Until then, see they. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.